Today, it's inconceivable to discuss responses to crime and criminality across England and Wales without reference to the disproportionate attention given to minority ethnic groups and communities. Most recently, significant attention has been given to the problem of racial disparity and disproportionality of minority ethnic people within the criminal justice system. So what we now know today is that recent figures show that in comparison to their numbers in the general population, minority ethnic people are increasingly more likely to come into contact with the agencies of the criminal justice system. We are more likely to be stopped by the police, arrested and charged. We are less likely to be diverted away from the criminal justice system and more likely to be remanded in custody. We are subject to more punitive and harmful sentences and to be incarcerated in young offender institutions and prisons. Sadly, what we know today is that black and brown children and young people now make up over half of those who are incarcerated in young offender institutions, a ready-made cohort to transition to the adult population. However, racial disparity or disproportionality in the criminal justice system is not a feature of crime rates or levels of crime across England and Wales. Official documents and reports consistently show that patterns of offending behaviour are broadly similar for ethnic groups and more often than not are lower for minoritised groups. So what does this disparity look like? Well, a recent report has said that young black children in London are now 40 times more likely to be stopped and searched than their white counterparts. Increasingly, this begs a question, what are the factors which are driving these levels of disparity? And within this presentation, I would like to focus in particular around the construct of the gang, and in particular, the state's response and the police in particular, their response to responding to this construct and discourse around the gang. Move on. To be stopped and searched and to encounter the police is not a random event. But I want to demonstrate is a politically sanctioned police response to the negative racialization of crime and criminality. Crime control is therefore better understood as the regulatory strategy to manage those who are imagined as not of the white norm. Those constructed as outsiders, the criminal lover. Increasingly, such crime control, control strategies correspond to what Garland in 2001 developed as a criminology of the other. It's a criminology that pays particular attention to those who are constructed as the threatening outcast, the fearsome stranger, the excluded and the embittered. So to draw on the work of Keith, who was writing in 1993, through times and over space, the dominant themes in racializing discourses fluctuate and contradict one another. The precise nature of blackness that is connoted evolves. So in Britain, at a crude level, succession of racist images of gender-specific Afro-Caribbean criminality have flowed from the pimp of the 1950s to the black power activist of the 1960s to Stuart Hall's mugger of the 1970s into the writer of the 1980s. And quite possibly, Keith continues, to the ultimate folk devil, 
the underworld Yardi of the 1990s. Now, what I want to draw from Keith's quote there is that what becomes apparent is that specific behaviours defined as criminal are racialized and attributed to minoritized groups and community. It is constant and unrelenting, marking out communities for political and police attention. These ideas are not linear. And whilst Keith may speak about those decade shifts and changes in these criminalized tropes, they tend to have a more cumulative scarring effect on minoritized communities. Of interest here in this quote, what we can begin to see is the final reference to the Yardi of the 1990s. In, in essence, it begins this longevity in the racialized gang. So further within this present, presentation, I want to develop upon the construct of the gang to demonstrate how such labels are appropriated as political and police property, and which then drive up the policing and law enforcement of particular groups. Now it's important to flag up, increasingly when we undertake discussions of the gang, we become ensnared in a conversation around definitions. What is clear is that the definitions around the gangs in themselves and in and of themselves are hugely problematic. I'd also go as far as to say that gang definitions almost become inconsequential. So if you think about the English riots in 2011, through to the emergence of serious youth violence, the gang, the gang has always been used to explain the provision and supply of a range of problems within society. For example, drugs, increasingly we see made, reference made to county lines. Increasingly, I would argue that behaviours that are purported to be related to the gang also don't need to be criminal. In essence, the gang can be used to explain a range of antisocial behaviours as well. It can explain our involvement in different musical forms and videos and the use of social media, which I will demonstrate later. In essence, therefore, the effects of the police gang as a resource extends beyond such behaviours. It legitimises the incursion of the police and other law enforcement agencies into black and brown communities. So it was Katz and Jacob Jacks writing in 2004, who argued that academic debates over gang definitions are essentially an argument over the correct description of a ghost. Even today, there is no single definition that we can reliably draw upon across England and Wales. Whilst this is a significant concern to gang researchers, those academics who engage in gang making and the production of gangs, what I would like to argue is that, in fact, the absence of a precise definition of the gang is, in essence, its strength. That connotes a strength to the gang label within the context of policing. As police property, the gang label is imprecise, it's opaque, it's ever-changing. It's there to be used and abused as and when it is necessary. So rather than me engaging in the futile act of attempting to offer a definition of the gang, I think it's more expedient to recognize, as Claire Alexander points out, that the gang is a transcendental signifier. It is used to signify the presence of blackness and to problem problematize our presence. It's a racialized gang, therefore, 
that has been adopted by the police and law enforcement agencies. I guess what's important therefore is to think through, well, how is this, how does a gang as police property become exploited by the police? So what I want to do is draw your attention to some analysis that was undertaken by Gunnell and colleagues at um, based on some data undertaken in Greater Manchester, some analysis of data in Greater Manchester. And what they did was they were able to identify five gang members as defined by the police, and then using those five individuals, were able to extrapolate and build a social network, what they refer to social network, social network analysis. Now, when you begin to look at the diagram, you will see almost looks like a spider diagram, as if somebody's been scribbling on a piece of paper. In essence, from these five individuals, drawing on police intelligence and police data, Gunnell and colleagues were able to identify over 130 people who would make up a social network. In essence, from those five individuals, we moved towards 130 individuals. What is of importance here, and the relevance of this slide within this presentation, is that the vast majority of individuals who make up this social network are not gang members. They are connected to those five individuals through friendship, family and romance links. It's within this discourse and from this perspective that we can begin to see how the gang label and can be transferred and attributed to individuals who are not gang members. And this becomes the focus of the remainder of this presentation. Because in essence, once we begin to acknowledge that the gang label can be attributed to individuals who are not gang involved or not at risk of gang involvement, then we can begin to see how essentially this data can be utilized to harm particular groups and communities. So what is it to be policed? Well, I spoke to a number of men as a part of a piece of research undertaken for Stopwatch. And what some of those individuals would inform me were as follows. I've been branded as a gang member because I've lived in the area of crime and drugs and have associated with people who have been involved in certain activities. I think that is unfair. And not just in my situation, it's in every situation. People shouldn't be branded because of their surroundings, their religion or what they do. I should be able to have friends that may do bad things, but the police should know or be able to understand that I am not involved in that and separate it. They should be able to know that there are certain Muslims who try to kill in the name of Allah, but there are Muslims who believe that it's wrong and go against all of that. It's two separate things. And that is why all of this gang branding and all of that shit is mad. That's why the police don't understand. And that is what they need to understand. There is something crucial in what is being said there. That recognition that living in communities that become racialized and constructed as gang affected communities serves to tarnish everybody who resides in those communities. So it was within the B Matrix report in 2018 that we began to explore how the gang label as police property can affect groups and individuals who are not involved in such behaviours. In essence, there was a priority focus upon the matrix, which is a gang's database which has been built by the Metropolitan Police. 
So to be matrixed is to be registered to a gang police database. And in essence, the individuals who are on this database are those who are thought to be involved, again, police defined, or associated with people, or even individuals who may be at risk of violence can be registered to gangs databases. Our work was therefore simpler to speak with individuals about their experiences of being policed. What was important when we began to look at the matrix and these gangs databases, and it also echoed work that had been undertaken in Manchester, is that the vast majority of these individuals are not thought to pose any risk to members of the public. So if we looked at the matrix at the time of this research, which was in 20, 2018, what we knew was that, for example, only 5% of individuals were flagged as being a high risk. And I would argue the majority of those individuals, that 5%, were in custody. The vast majority, therefore, two thirds, if not higher, were registered as or flagged as green or of low risk. The majority of people, three quarters on these databases, were under the age of 25. But what was extremely stark and taking us back to the start of this presentation was that 90% of those individuals who were registered on the GANS database in London were from a minority ethnic background. I think even equally stark was that 80% of these individuals were, set, were defined as coming from the Black Caribbean community. Following on from this and beginning to speak to individuals therefore who were registered to the matrix begins to reveal the purpose of these tools and these strategies. Because whilst in essence we begin to attribute GANS databases as the feature of the 1990s, what we can begin to see is, is contemporary use. It's also a point, just as an, a tangent, an important point to make here is that the gang's database and what I refer to as the gang industry emerges from what was referred to as the English riots of 2011. Now, many of us are now aware that whilst David Cameron very quickly came out to argue that those riots were constructed and driven by the gang, the reality is, is that most recent figures point towards less than 6% of individuals who were convicted as a consequence of the English riots were thought to be gang involved and again we need to be careful about that six percent because those labels and those definitions are police definitions however what happens subsequently from the english riots is the emergence of gang management units the development of gang databases the emergence of strategies to police those individuals who are thought to pose a risk of gang violence or gang enabled offending to members of the public these databases, these databases now exist across Manchester, Nottingham, West Midlands, and as I've already pointed to, towards, across all the boroughs of London. What becomes important, however, is that to be matrixed, to be held on a gang's database, has a number of punitive and negative behaviours for those individuals who are thought to be gang involved. And what we identify is three key areas that come to fore. Individuals will be policed with impunity. What we also identified, and I will speak to these in a little more detail, is that individuals experience this gang branding, which has an impact upon their trajectories and their movements throughout society. 
And finally, I want to suggest that we begin to see the use of the gang label as building a deliberate hostile environment around those young people who are so defined. So if we look at the notion of being policed with impunity, what we begin to find is that individuals, and for example, Andrew speaks of, it was weird, man. I started to get stopped and searched all the time to the point where it became a joke. It was just a normal thing, like putting your clothes on. You knew you were getting stopped and searched. There was all times. I remember one time, and Andrew laughs in the interview. I got stopped three times in a day. Now, I can't remember if they say, if you've been stopped twice in the same day or something, or three times in the same day, you don't have to get stopped a third time. But it didn't happen. I was getting searched. It became so normal. It felt like I knew what the police were doing. Everyone around me was getting stopped and searched daily. There was no one around me that wasn't, in a sense. So I just thought, yeah, it's just a thing where they're just stopping young black kids. Paul, he argues that they think they know you and he's making a direct reference to the police. They think they know me. They don't know me. That's what these police officers go off. They think they know you because they see things on paper, intelligence, and they think they can make a judgment. And it's like, no, you can't search me. I'm not going to bow down to you because you found out I've been in trouble with the police. In essence, I spoke with individuals who spoke about being stopped and searched 200, 300 times. One individual said, it has to be just under a thousand times. To be gang affected and to live in communities that the police define as gang involved will result in individuals being policed with impunity. Following on from that, what we begin to see is how these gang management units conspire. They draw on intelligence gathering from a range of different agencies and organisations. For example, in our work, we identified a relationship with the police, youth offending services, probation, local authorities, the housing department, social services, the job centre, schools, voluntary organisations, all coming together within these gang management units or what Wakastafel refers to as punishing partnerships. And when we spoke to the men about their relationships within these gang management units, they, were, they would argue, the thing is what pisses me off is that they have the power to do stuff, extra stuff, and their power derives from intelligence. You can ask them, what's the intelligence? They say, they're not allowed to tell you. You're not allowed to tell, you're not allowed to tell me. Now, your intelligence is not a proven piece of information. Intelligence that you might have gotten from a grass. You might have got it from someone that just dislikes other people. They're just chatting shit. You could have got it from anywhere. It's not proven in court. So why is it then allowing you the powers to come to oppress me? You know what I mean? You're oppressing me with a power that you shouldn't even have. And that was Gary reflecting on his experiences. But in essence, what we also begin to see that for Dean, he begins to make sense of how being registered to a gang's database also began to impact and affect his opportunity to apply for jobs. So Dean spoke about the reality that when his employers or prospective employers went to do his check, they came back to him and disclosed to him that you're on a surveillance list. 
he's at pains to understand what is taking place. But these providers, this potential employer, tells him that he's being surveilled by the police. And on that basis, he was refused that job. This is what we begin to refer to as data harms. These data harms that lead to exclusions. The numbers of young people who spoke about being excluded from school or whose parents were placed under pressure to be removed from their accommodation because they posed a risk to other members of the society. But beyond these data harms, and maybe the ultimate in these data harms, is that the gang is also utilised as a legal resource. So along with my colleague Rebecca Clark and the campaign organisation Gemba, we were able to explore how the gang label becomes critical in the prosecution of joint enterprise. In essence, what we begin to see is that through joint enterprise, the police and prosecution teams can convict groups of young people where one individual may be deemed to have committed the offence. The gang acts as a driver, as a facilitator, facilitator to collective forms of punishment. The gang becomes the explanation, again, what Claire Alexander refers to as the transcendental signifier. It allows the police to draw inferences, simplistic inferences, as to why the offence may have taken place. So within this discourse, we begin to see the gang as a primary definer linking in with other racialized, criminalized tropes. For example, within joint enterprise cases, we begin to see social media utilized, Facebook, Instagram, pictures that individuals may have on their mobile phones, or an individual's very presence in a music video is indicative of the gang as police property or what the police refer to as gang insignia, how an individual is dressed, the colours that they may wear, their associations with historical names. In Manchester, we speak about Gooch and Doddington, as still being used today within local newspaper. The names of gangs which go back 20, 30 years are used as a way of co collectively punishing groups of young people. Gang names that existed even before these children were born. What we're also beginning to see, and an increasing tension, is the use of technology. So the police deployment of tech, or what we increasingly refer to as data-driven policing, being used as a way of trying to signify and to co-locate individuals virtually at the scene of the crime. So cell site through telephones. Again, the social media analysis of telephone calls and text messages, the use of video, is increasingly being used as a way of trying to co-locate individuals as a way of collectively punishing groups. But simply relationships, as I spoke to earlier, to be a family member or to be a friend of an individual who the police have defined as a gang member, and we know how problematic that is now, is also enough for individuals to be embroiled and pulled into joint enterprise cases. Again, to the fore is police intelligence. The use of stop and search, police intelligence gathering process is central here. The community police officer, whose role it is to go about the community gathering intelligence is what comes and is almost manner within the court arena. 
Finally, and it's important to recognize, is that an individual's geographical location, where they live, the name of the area they live within, is enough to signify the notion of gang involvement and therefore again can be utilized to embroil young people into court cases. But it's important to recognize that when we speak with individuals from these communities or those individuals who are affected by joint enterprise cases, they can test the gang label. For example, and with on this slide, you can see a number of examples. I have never been in a gang. I was a family man who had a good job. We're a group of young lads who smoke weed and fuck around and we get labeled a gang. We were just friends, no more working teenagers. The prosecution and the judge said me and my co-defendants a friend together. I was brought up with the same group of people through school to holidays with family. We were very close and always together. So the prosecution found it easy to call us gang members. In essence, we begin to see how the gang as police property comes to the fore. Now it's important to disclose that as part of the joint enterprise research, dangerous associations, five individuals self-disclosed as a gang member, but the vast majority of over 240 individuals who responded to that survey resisted the imposition of the gang label. For me, increasingly, the academics debates around gang members and gang definitions, or even young people's contentions of gang definitions and gang labels are irrelevant within the context of the police. And in essence, it's been this research which has pushed us to a contemporary point where the gang database and the matrix itself has come under challenged. So in conclusion, I started this conversation with an acknowledgement of racial disparity and the disproportionate numbers of minority ethnic people within the criminal justice system of England and Wales. I also highlighted that increased police and law enforcement attention is not the consequence of crime rates or offending behaviour, but a feature of who the police and media construct as a contemporary crime problem. Since 2019, the Metropolitan Police have been removing the personal details of people from the Matrix Gangs database. This followed an enforcement notice by the Information Commissioner's Office. Today, this has resulted in the removal of a thousand young black men. Evidently, it is racism in its institutional forms and the racialization of crime which drives racial disparity. Young black and brown children and young people are recorded onto gangs databases not for their behaviours or any notion of criminality, but because of where they live, because of their family and friends. They are recorded onto these databases because they are more likely to be experienced poverty and inequality, or be excluded from mainstream education. All these factors which are criminologically misread as predictors of crime. Policing and gangs databases, therefore, are not a solution to the problem of crime and criminality. Indeed, such databases now pose a social problem for minority ethnic people within black and brown communities. In order to alleviate such data harms, there is a clear need for the abandonment 
of these ineffective databases and the encroachment of tech into policing, and also a need to remove and disown the racialized construct of the gang. Thank you.